Hello, everyone, and welcome to Minute 27 of Season 4 of Movie Around Minute, the daily podcast where we take a hilarious and poignant journey through the 1989 Billy Crystal and Meg Ryan rom-com on Harry Metalli, one minute at a time. I'm Rob, and joining me once again today is Alan Sanders of The Wild hey. Ride, and of The Sorry, Alan hey. Sanders Show, and of all these other crazy things. I am a broadcaster. Yes, thank you for having me back. I really appreciate it. You're very welcome. Thank you for 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 coming back. You know, it's, uh, I, I I think we had a nice conversation yesterday, and uh, you know, hopefully today that that will continue. Even though we don't, we're not going to talk about Barbie and Ken today. So okay, I but I am yeah. looking forward to what possible trivia questions you're going to have lined up for me because Ooh. I went through the dialogue. And I was so focused on the sincerity of Billy Crystal trying to explain exactly how all of this went down. And I'm like, what in the world could be picked apart? And I have no idea. I, I have two main things that we're going to talk about today. We'll go through the dialogue and then we'll go back to, to those two things. I think that, that okay. works a little better because that, one of the things with, with a movie like this where the dialogue is where it's very dialogue heavy is that, you know, to, to, to cut it up without saying it all first is you know counterproductive so we'll just we'll just go through the 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 whole uh, dialogue that's here so minute 27 begins with the wave continuing and ends with harry responding to jess so yesterday we ended things with you know just seeing a football stadium seeing our our beloved uh uh loser lions uh losing once again <laughs> or playing a mm -hmm. game that they will lose you know to the giants and you know that that's how the minute ended and today we continue with another shot of the crowd and then the crowd you know sits down and then we have a shot of uh two men sitting and and talking one of them is you know someone that we have already met harry burns and we don't know who the other guy is you know i mean we do but you know we're not really sure uh just by looking at it you know so we have harry uh, sitting there talking to his friend Jess, and they have a very interesting conversation. So we'll go through the conversation, and then we'll we'll pick it apart. So okay, Jess turns to to Harry and says, "When did this happen? Friday." Helen comes home from work and she says, "I don't know if I want to be married anymore. Like it's the institution, you know. Like it's nothing personal, just something she's been thinking about in a casual way." I'm calm. I say, "Why don't we take some time to think about it?" You know, don't rush into anything. <laughs> yeah, right. Next day, she says she's thought about it, and she wants a trial separation. She just wants to try it, she says. But we can still date. Like, this is supposed to cushion the blow. I mean, I got married so I can stop dating. So I don't see where we can still date is any big incentive. Since the last thing you want to do is date your wife, who's supposed to love you. Which is what I'm saying when it occurs to me that maybe she doesn't. So I say to her, don't you love me anymore? You know what she says? I don't know if I've ever loved you. Mm. Just just responds, oh, that's harsh. And then once again, we hear the crowd. Uh, they go through another wave. And then Jess says, you don't back back, bounce back from that right away. Thanks, Jess. And and that's pretty much the, the whole dialogue of, of this minute. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, first of all, I, I like the fact that, you know, they – you know, beforehand they showed us, uh, it was two weeks ago, uh, Marie and uh, Alice. And then it jumps, and then now we see, you know, Harry talking to his friend, Jess. So I, I like the, the contrast here. 
you know, it's showing that the, the two of them have their own lives. They have their mm-hmm. own friends. They have their circle of, of people that they talk to, their confidants, you know, which, I mean, we'll, we'll get both of them later on throughout the movie, you know, constantly, you know, still talking to these other people along the way while they're still talking to to each other, you know, the whole thing. So I like this because to me, this is that kind of, once again, we talked about a little bit yesterday, the rom-com formula. You've got her and her friends and it's happening in parallel with him and his friends. And we kind of, as the audience know, because of the poster, because of the title, because of what's happening, we know they're on a collision course at some point, but I like it because we see him as like, parallel stories that eventually are going to collide correct correct and and it works well i mean as as you said the 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 rom-tom trope usually is is that each of them have one best friend that they're always talking to about everything that's going on you know and and this movie fits right in with that you know there's there's no no question about that i have Um, a question about the the story he's telling and and if if you want me to re-ask it later but and you just want to edit this out but i was thrown and every time i hear it i still don't hear it the way he thinks it means we can still date the minute i heard that i thought that meant well we'll try out other people right while we're on our trial separation he makes it sound like well let's separate but maybe we can have date nights to see if we can maybe get back together right which I don't know anybody that when they're trying a trial separation and says, but we can date, they, I've never heard anybody mean it with each other. Right. It's the idea of trying out other people and saying, okay, maybe I can find someone a little better than you, you know, that type of thing, which, which makes sense. So the first thing that I want to talk about, which we're going to talk about in length here is the wave. Okay. I know you're a sports fan. Uh I am. Okay. So first of all, do you know any other names for the wave? No, actually I don't. That's I've always that's how it's always been. Even when you go and they say start the wave, it actually says it on the billboards. You know. So. Correct. Well, because it's it's you know shorter. I guess you can say. There's, so there's there's two other terms that are used for the wave. It's either known as first of all, just to explain to people if you don't know what a wave is, a wave is something that usually happens in a stadium where each section will stand up. Uh, and then when they sit down, the next section stands up. And when you're looking at it from afar, it looks as if, you know, there's like a, a, a wave happening, you know, around the stadium. Because most of the stadiums are circular, you know, so it, it just looks mm-hmm. like uh, uh, a wave happening. Okay. So it's a lot also- of times when I've gone to uh, stadiums that are double-decker stadiums, they have lower and upper. Sometimes mm-hmm. the wave will go in both the upper and lower in the same direction. Or sometimes, just to make it look interesting, it'll go in opposite directions. You'll have one That's going really cool. clockwise and then one going counterclockwise. That's really cool. That's really cool. Um, so the wave is known also as the Mexican wave or the stadium wave. Those are the, still the wave. official <laughs> terms. Of course, it's still the wave, but... You know. I was waiting for you to tell me, also known as the stampede or the jigger jog. No, 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 no. <laughs> Sorry. Okay, okay. <laughs> No, no jigger jog. Sorry. Sorry to disappoint you there. But uh, so basically, when do you think the, the, the wave was first introduced or invented? You can even say. Uh, I remember seeing it 
let's see. I went to before I moved. I went to Tiger Stadium. I think in eighty two or eighty three, and it was going on then. So either late seventies, early eighties, maybe. Perfect bullseye. So it was it was actually originated on the fifteenth of November, nineteen seventy nine, at an NHL game between the Colorado Rockies and Montreal Canadiens in Denver. Okay, there's a man named Crazy George Henderson. I don't know why he's known as Crazy George Henderson. When, when I think of that name, it makes me think of Kramer. You know, when I'm trying to, to, to visualize who this Crazy George is, you know, there, there, there also was Crazy Eddie, um, you know, from the – are you familiar with the Crazy Eddie uh, uh, commercials? It was, it was mostly in the New York area. But it was, it was, yeah, I, I can't say that I do. So cra- Crazy Eddie is is a a, a guy who, who started a uh, an electronic store in the New York area in 1971, and he was known as Crazy Eddie because you know his prices were insane, and they had all these different commercials, and it was just amazing to listen to. I mean, he had. He had, uh, in the end, I think, 43 stores in four states. And hmm. But what was the problem? He actually got caught uh, in in fraud and over-reporting profits, inflating inventory, duping auditors, stuff like that. <laughs> and he, Well, he was crazy. He fled the country. And guess what country he came to? My country. Uh, he came to Israel. Israel. <laughs> <laughs> really? Yes. <laughs> wow. Now, you know, when you describe those kinds of commercials, I don't remember who they were, but I remember in Detroit. And obviously, when something is big in one area, people hear about it. And so they just emulate it. Like, that's why a lot of the car commercials, especially used cars, look so similar. They do the same kind of shtick. Right. But I remember we had somebody who would do things like the camera would pan along and he'd have like all these appliances set up. And he was crazy somebody. I have no idea who, but I remember he had a bat and he would go. $49 for a microwave? No way! And he'd crush the microwave. He goes, I won't sell this for less than 29 And then he would beat up. So basically, he just went down the line just bashing all of these products, wow. talking <laughs> about how he was going to cut those prices. He wasn't going to pay those kinds of prices if you come down to whatever his Highland appliance or whatever the name of his store was. Right. So, I mean, he, he, he eventually – so he fled to Israel in February of 1990, and they they actually deported him back to America – <laughs> Three years later, in January '93, he stood trial, and the the conviction was overturned. But then a, a few years later, he actually pled guilty, and got eight years in prison, prison for it. Wow, that's crazy. <laughs> yeah, he got eight Literally. years in prison, but it was only in prison for two years. So whatever, that is crazy, Eddie. What do you expect? But I mean, that's not the crazy Eddie that I was looking for. I was looking for a crazy George, but but still, mm-hmm. you know, just. Uh, you know, maybe maybe I'll put up a few of Crazy Eddie's uh, commercials for everyone to see here. You know, because... I wonder if Crazy G- you say Crazy George is the one who came up with the uh, the wave. Yes. I wonder if it's just that sports fan that just gets a name. Um, you know, for for the Atlanta Braves, for folks who've been around in uh, in a, a long time, back when it was Atlanta Fulton County Stadium, the Braves were so bad. You'd be lucky if you could get maybe a couple of thousand people to show up to a game. So someone came up with this idea. Well, they're the, they're the Atlanta Braves, which has a connotation to the American Indian. So he put up a giant teepee because they just 
they were like, okay, you know what? Nobody's sitting out there anyway in the outfield or in the, in the stands in the outfield. So he would behind, I don't know if it was left field or center field, he put out a giant teepee. He went by the name Chief Nakahomer, Nakahoma, uh-huh. okay. and he would do home run dances all the time. And he became such a draw, people came to the Braves, not because the Braves were doing any well, but because they wanted to see Chief Nakahoma do his little shtick. He became almost like a character for the Atlanta Braves. Oh, wow. That's really cool. So, so he, I, I just read what he – he was a cheerleader. He started off as a cheerleader in California State University in San Jose and ended up, you know, working his way into the NHL as a cheerleader. Oh, that's that's Crazy George, yeah. Yeah, Crazy George. You know, he uh yeah, he he just he did some crazy things obviously. But he was the one who actually invented it. Okay, he he um he he used to do it at the NHL games. And then on October 15th, 1981, he was in a he was in a baseball game in Oakland. And this is the actual this is the first time that they have a video documentation of a wave. And he actually uses this as proof that he is the inventor of <laughs> of the wave. That's right? kind of cool, though. Yes. I mean. To, to have started something, and, and especially in a hockey game, which, I mean, hockey's gotten a lot more popular in the United States, and, and it had its pockets, but it was nowhere near the kind of viewing audience of, let's say, baseball or football. Uh, even basketball gets a, gets a bigger audience. Hockey's kind of like a second-tier sport right? Uh, in terms of you know money and profit. Well, at least back in the 70s and 80s. Nowadays, it might yeah. be a little different, but, but back yeah. then, that's but the way it was. Think about that, to have to have pioneered something that is still happening to this day. I went to a baseball game last year and the wave broke out. Yes. But wait, I, I'm not done with all, all of the information about the wave. So then uh, a, a... You sound like that. But wait, there's more. But wait, there is more. <laughs> Act now. That's right. <laughs> Act now and Crazy Eddie will throw in a broken microwave. Yeah. You know. <laughs> Um, so then it, it moved in the, the, to the university of Washington. There was a football game, uh, against Stanford that, that, uh, they started using a wave and basically Henderson's, uh, the, the people in, in Seattle said that they got the idea from him, but they, they actually, they, they claimed that they actually were the ones who popularized it. You know, he invented it, but they, they popularized it. So Henderson basically says that it was inspired by accident. When he was leading cheers at the uh, Colorado Rockies game, and the, his routine was to have one side of the arena jump and cheer, then have the opposite side respond. And then one night uh, in late 1979, there was a delayed response from one of the sections of fans, leading them to jump to their feet a few seconds later than the section besides them. Beside them, the next section of hmm. fans followed suit, and the first wave circled uh, McNichols Arena on its own accord. So it's, it's pretty cool that, that something happened, you know. It, it's uh, almost like it was a spontaneous accident. Yes. That's kind of cool, though, uh, that there was just a delayed reaction. And because of the delay, the delay kind of rippled and everybody started following. And then I, I, you have to wonder, because I was really young. I mean, uh, it, early 80s for me, when I remember seeing it at Tiger Stadium, I may have, I may have been 12, 11 or 12 years old. So is it Wait, because when did it was you on move? TV? When did you move from Detroit? 
uh, in 85. So I didn't move to, to Georgia until the summer of 85. Okay. Well, it wasn't in 82 that you saw it that I can, that I can tell you because I'm about to explain how it got to Michigan because that okay. Michigan is a very important part in the history of the wave. So in the fall of 1983, the, the, the Wolverines, the Michigan Wolverines, you know, from, uh, yeah, from college football, the big college 10. football, U of M in Ann Arbor. Right. So, uh, they basically, the wave caught on in their games. And apparently they, they, they claim that there are three reasons that it happened. One, it gave the fans something to do while the team was leading its opponent by 40 points. <laughs> you know, second, it was thrilling and exciting to see 105,000 people in the stands moving and cheering. And the third reason is because Bo Schembechler, uh, who I oh, Schembechler, he was the Schembechler coach, was yeah. the coach, asked them not to do it. <laughs> <laughs> um, but they, funny. they created a whole bunch of different types of waves along the way. They did silent waves, which basically means that you know you're not you're not cheering. Everyone's just standing mm -hmm. up. Okay, you have shush waves, where everyone would do shushing shushing sounds, and then you had a fast wave, slow wave. Um, one of the things you mentioned earlier: the two simultaneous waves traveling in opposite directions. And then in the spring of 1984, um, the fans, many fans who enjoyed the wave in Ann Arbor introduced it at Tiger Stadium. And that year, the Tigers uh, were in the World Series, and it appeared on many of the televised games throughout 1984. And therefore, uh, people in the U.S. got to, got, got to see what a wave was. So you see... There's that there's that Detroit uh, connection, the tie-in. So it was that Tiger Stadium. Yeah, Tiger Stadium was the one that was the place that really popularized it around the whole U.S. in 1984. Okay. Well, I I remember I was at a, I was at Tiger. So I guess I got the year wrong, but it, it, I guess it was '84 then versus '83. But I right. knew it was before I moved because it was the Tigers game. Right. Exactly. So that would have made me in 84, I would have been 13. Okay. Right. I would, unless, yeah, it, unless it was late. No, I didn't go to the World Series, so it wasn't late in the year. So I, I didn't turn 14 until late November of that year. So I would have been 13 and a half. Right. Okay. And I, was, I would have been a fledgling teenager. <laughs> I was I was 10, and I, I didn't go to any of the, the World Series that game, games that year either. I, I went to there, – there were some games I went in the summer, but, uh, you know, once, once the Tigers started doing really well, there were no seats available. You know, I used to like the Tigers only because my dad – it was a sport I learned you could see the game in your head through radio. We would play it in the garage. It's a great sport to listen to if you have a good radio broadcaster. But I loved at the time and became a Tigers fan, not just because we lived there, but you know how kids think. You had the shortstop, Alan Trammell, yeah, and he spelled his name the right way, A-L-A-N, which is how I spell it. I don't spell it like a last name, A-L-L-E-N. Mm -hmm. That's a last name, not a first name. So I was like, oh, Alan Trammell. Well, that's who I I, I want to be. And I didn't know anything about baseball or players, but I was just like, I liked him because he had my name. Right. Now, I remember there was Alan Trammell, Lou Whitaker, and mm -hmm. what was the catcher's name? Lance Lance something. Uh Oh, oh man, you're stretching my memory. Mine too, um, mine too. Oh my God! I can't think of it. Now I'm gonna have to look it up because now I'm, it's it's killing me. Lance Parrish. Lance Parrish. There you go. You're right. <laughs> yep. Yeah, I remember uh, all all three of those guys. 
I was I was sad when Alan Trammell didn't get into uh, the Hall of Fame, you know, the the year that he was eligible. Mm-hmm. But you know, and Jack Morris, you're bringing back so many good memories just talking about baseball, and then all of a sudden we switched it to to the Tigers, and um, just remembering you know the games. I growing up, the big thing was my dad. I mean, and your dad may have at the same time being in the in the late '70s and early '80s, you could still do most of the stuff on your car yourself, mm-hmm. and so he would be in the garage doing things like changing spark plugs or changing the oil. And he would have the radio on and, and I would come out there and learn how to help him by handing him tools and, and stuff listening and to Al Kaline, listening uh, to the baseball. You know, wasn't Al Kaline the, uh, and Ernie Harwell. And Ernie Harwell. There you go. All right. So back to the wave. So the, mm-hmm. the wave actually became popular internationally, uh, during the, uh, 1986 world cup in Mexico. Um, so you know, that that's where uh, that came from. Okay, so I've I've two last things about the wave, and and they're questions for you. Okay, um, how many people do you think uh, were involved in the world's record of the largest number of people uh, doing a wave? Mm, well, knowing how big concerts can be, but I don't know if you do. Do you want me to tell you? Do you want me to tell you about what event this was? That would that help? That would help. Okay, so there, um, John Stewart and Stephen Colbert in 2010 created a rally to restore sanity and fear. Okay, which they did huh. in Washington. I actually remember when they did that. So, so they did the I wave there. My my gut was to say a million, but I'm going to say five hundred thousand. Two hundred and ten thousand people. Two hundred and ten. Okay. Yeah. So. Okay. And still, that's not too bad. No, not at all. <laughs> that's great. And. And how long do you think is the r- record for the longest continuous wave? No, they tend to fade after a bit. So I'm going to say 10 minutes. So up until 2019, the record was 17 minutes and 14 seconds, which uh, was at a concert in Japan uh, by by the, the group Tube. I've never heard of them, but maybe you have. I don't know. Okay. Nope. And that record was broken on the 23rd of June, 2019, um, at the season seven finals of the Rocket League Championship Series, which is a video game esport in Newark, New Jersey. <laughs> I know Rocket League. <laughs> you you familiar with it or not? I'm familiar with the game Rocket oh, okay. League. Yeah. All right. And they they did a, a continuous wave for 28 minutes and 35 seconds. Wow. Yeah. That's, that's a long time to do the wave. Yes. I, I'm I'm done after it, like it goes around its third time around the stadium. I'm like, okay, come on. I'm done. I want to drink my beer. That's right. Well, you can still keep drinking your beer. Why not? Well, yeah, but you don't want to jump up and have your hands. Cause you're supposed to put your hands up. You're supposed to, to do it right. You're supposed to like raise both hands to help make all this movement. So that way it's, uh, it's not just standing up, but you're doing all this kinetic energy. Well, Harry, and, Harry and Jess don't do that. They just stand up. They I know they talking. don't. You know, I mean, what if you're doing it wrong? Yeah. Okay. That's fine. (laughs) Go back and do it again. You're doing it wrong. (laughs) Cut. Back to one. (laughs) One of of the things that I I love about this conversation between the two of them is, is that it seems to pick up in the middle of a conversation. You know, these guys Mm -hmm. are having this conversation already, you know, because he starts off by saying, when did this happen? So, you know, he said something else beforehand. Right. You know. What I love about it is you don't need to know what it was. You immediately, within the first couple of back and forths, you know exactly what they're talking Correct. about. Correct. 
you know, and, and the two of them, like, like when they have the second wave that they're a part of, so like Jeff shakes his head as the wave is about to come. And then the two of them, he's shaking his head and then raises his arms and stands up, you know, as he's doing it. So it, it, it works really well. Now, did, did you, uh, you probably didn't notice this, but there's, there's, um, uh, actually, before we get there, we have one other thing I want to talk about. So they talk about, uh, you know, separation, marital separation. Mm-hmm. Okay. Trial. Trial separation. separation. <laughs> Trial separation. Let's give it a try. See what you think. Exactly. See if it works. <laughs> Correct. So what, what do you know about the, the legal aspects of, of a separation, a tri- trial separation or whatever? You know anything about that? Well, I know what it is to get separated and divorced, having been through one. So do I. But, but I don't know what. <laughs> I don't know if what the legal like. What's the difference between a separation and the true divorce? In fact, I don't even know if there is a difference anymore. There is. Except, there is a difference. There I mean, is. I know the divorce itself is a. You've got a, a court ordered contract that says you are no longer identified as married in the eyes of the state. Right. Okay. So basically a marital separation or legal separation is that, uh, you know, ma- uh, two married people who stop living together, but they don't get a divorce. Okay. Sometimes this could be the initial steps in the divorce process. Sometimes it could be for people who want to gain perspective on their marriage uh, and decide whether they want a divorce or not. Right. Some people do it instead of getting divorced for economic reasons for religious reasons, for tax purposes. Um, sometimes people have like insurance benefits, stuff like that, that they don't, they don't want to uh, lose because of that, even though they no longer want to be together. Um, sometimes it can be done. I have heard that. I've heard people that they care so much about making sure the other one's okay in terms of health or whatever, that they'll stay, quote, married. So the one person, the one spouse that's got the benefits package that the other person still qualifies to go to the doctor and get, you know, has insurance and everything, but they're technically, like you said, they're not living in the same domicile. They don't even think of themselves as together anymore. Right. Exactly. Um, so, but, but in, in with, with a separation, you don't have to have, you don't have any legal documents like with a, um, with a divorce that deals with alimony and, and custody and things like that. Those are things that people have to decide on their own for the way that they're they're doing that. Okay. There are actually states that separation is grounds for divorce. You can use that as your reason to get, get divorced. There are also states where you have to be separated for a certain amount of time before you can even file for divorce. You, know, you can't just run to the court and, uh, you know, file for divorce. Mm-hmm. According to experts, whatever experts really means, they say that that you know the the if you have a six month separation, that's the perfect amount of time that is still considered a temporary set, uh, separation because it's long enough to set up a second household and gain perspective, but also not long enough to to feel too permanent, you know that uh, to be separated. There are other names for for legal separation. You have judicial separation, uh, separate maintenance, divorce, amensa et thoro, okay, or divorce from bed and board. You ever heard that phrase before? Okay. No. <laughs> you just have to be kicked out of the house? Is that basically what it's saying? No. What it's basically saying is, is that, that, that uh, you know, that the separation is, is 
sanctioned by the court, but the spouses legally live apart, but they're still legally married, right? So if they have any future children that, 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 that are born, so, you know, the legitimacy of any child remains the same, but you also, um, at they can't legally remarry anyone else during that, during that time period, you know, oh. that they're, that, that they're together or that they're considered, uh, from bed to board, because the idea is that you're, you're no longer living together, but you're still considered, uh, married as far as the law is concerned from that, that perspective. Yeah. But the term from bed to board, I usually think that means like your household or domicile. So does it mean that you're not, again, like I said, is it, is it you, you're, you're not living in the same house or you're not living in the same bedroom. In other words, you have separate rooms. No, it, according to what it says here, it's that the separation is you're in different houses because they're saying that, okay. that the, it is different houses. Okay. The uh, actual translation of the Latin means from table and bed, um, which they changed to board, to board mm -hmm. and, and table. You know, the idea of, of food and stuff like that, you know, that you're no longer mm -hmm. room and board type of thing. No more food, no more fun. Oh, well, I, if you've reached the point, <laughs> if you've reached the point where you want to separate, I don't think you're, 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 you're looking for fun with, with the same spouse. That's true. That's true. <laughs> Could be one of the reasons. So right as this minute is about to end, you have about two or three seconds left. They, they do, you know, the second, uh, wave and mm -hmm. there's a man right in front of harry and jess that is talking on a cell phone in 1989 cell phones were not as prevalent as they are today so it's it's fun to actually see that you know in retrospect i i mean i know i've seen in, in movies from the 80s people who have uh car phones mm -hmm. i even remember that there was there was a guy that i know that his car was stolen and he called up his cell phone, the, 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 the car phone to convince the guy. He said, keep the car, but I need my documents inside the car. Maybe he was a lawyer. I don't remember what his, what his profession was, but he needed some like some important documents in the car. And he's like, keep the car, but get me, get me back the, you know, the documents that are in there. I, I don't know what happened if he ever got it or not, but I just thought it was, you know, that's something that, that I always remember from my childhood that, that I remember. You know, a friend of mine's father, that that's what, that's what he did. I even remember what kind of, he had like a Jeep. <laughs> but can you imagine you steal a car and then the phone rings and you answer it? It's like, hello. Hey, dude, <laughs> I need my stuff. <laughs> that's right. What's crazy about this is um, being involved in technology. I worked for a, a, a small little, um, like a gadget computer shop. It was called Radio Shack when I was a kid, just as a job when I was going to late high school and then college. We had we sold cell phones all the time. I remember my dad thinking it was the coolest thing to have first the bag phone where the, the receiver and handset looked like what you would have permanently mounted in your car. Right. But it had a big bag battery that you would strap over your shoulder. Mm -hmm. And then it turned into the brick phone where it looked like a big giant brick with a huge antenna on it. And we've had cell phones. So well before this movie would have been made, we you know, my mom and dad had portable cell phones and car phones probably – Starting about eighty six or eighty seven. Okay. Do, do you know what year self the cell phone was created? Invented. Oh, well before then. Well before then. Um, the the one that you mount in your car, or the one that you walk around with. The first handheld mobile phone. Yeah, it was called the StarTac. I think something. 
And I remember it. Oh, I just did a, a stupid program about it last year for the Telescience Museum. Um, and it, uh, we did this thing about, cause they did th- about gadgets, about science fiction in, in inspiring real world things. And then real world things that might be inspiration for what do we think they'll look like a hundred years from now in like science wow. fiction. So it was I like love, I, I actually gadgets. love that concept. I remember, I remember years and years ago, I was with a friend and we were in some rest stop or something like that. And that was when they just had started having, you know, that, uh, you know, the, 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 the urinals would automatically flush. And this was, this was in the late eighties when this happened and my friend turns to me, he goes, wow, I feel like I'm in Star Trek, you know, and, and the mm-hmm. idea of the fact that, that sci-fi has created technology and vice mm-hmm. versa is just amazing to me. I think, you know, I call it the Star Trek, but I think that was the first flip phone or they, that was the, the, cause it was based on Star Trek, but like the Dynatac Motorola, it was Motorola. It was Motorola. That it was. Um, I remember the story because we had it on the poster when we were talking about it. The person made a phone call His on the Martin streets Cooper. of New York. Martin Cooper was the first person, was the creator of the of the cell phone. Yeah, but I, I thought you wanted the first mobile phone. Yes. Maybe Martin Cooper. No, the, he he demonstrated the first mobile handheld mobile phone. Yeah, it wasn't it like. It was in New York. You were right. Yes, yeah, it was in New York because he called somebody from a building, a competitor. 74, 73, oh, 72? Oh, you, you just, you were about to say three, 73, 73. Great. 73, okay. Yeah, you, you got that one perfect. All right. Now, between 1983 and 2014, the worldwide mobile phone subscriptions grew to over 7 billion. <laughs> meaning yeah. that there was enough, there, there, even in 2014, there were already enough phones to provide one for every single person in the world. I mean, that, that's just amazing. The, the, the number of, of people that it's considered as one of the most important human inventions because of the fact that it is the most widely used and sold piece of consumer technology. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, and um, in 1999 in England, they actually, the total number of, of mobile phones was actually larger than the total number of houses <laughs> that they had. <laughs> um, and in half the world's countries, more than 90% of the population own at least one cell phone. Isn't that crazy? And that's just yeah, saying cell really phone. Is. That's not even taking into account the advent of the smartphone, which is... Correct. We're not even talking about smartphones right. at this point. Now, this this last bit of trivia I think is great. The, that Motorola, Motorola did a study that found that for every one in 10 uh, mobile phone subscribers, okay, there is someone who has a second phone that is kept secret from other family members. Um, these phones are usually used in activities as extramarital affairs or clandestine uh, business dealings and things like that. Well, then, and now we're in that whole age of the burner phone. You just buy however Correct. many moments, minutes you want. If you want to throw it away, you're done. Nope. That's right. Especially, especially if you're a spy in a movie. Yep. yep. Yeah. <laughs> or 24. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And 24 was 20 years ago. Think about it from that perspective too. Well, see, that hurts my soul. <laughs> <laughs> you know, aging, the problem with it is it just keeps happening. Yes, that is it true. It doesn't stop. No, but, but you know what? I, I wish upon you 
that aging will continue for you for for many many years well, to come. How's it that? beats the alternative. Yes, you're right. <laughs> That's right, for sure. Yeah, I guess any day I wake up on the right side of the dirt is a good day. <laughs> Very true. Very true. <laughs> Um, so that, that's all I have to talk about for this minute. Did you, uh, you have anything else you want to mention? No, I just, I think it's, I like his delivery here. I love Harry's. It's kind of wry. He, he's not, it's almost matter of fact. Like he's, he's finally come to terms with it. He's not emotional about it. He's not, he's not overly happy, but the way he delivers it is a, a little bit humorous because it's almost too matter of fact. Um, and I right. kind of like it. I like that's the way he's telling the story. Right. And we're not used to Harry acting this way. Also, we, we expect him to, to, to be, uh, darker, you know, but, but again, he's, he's in a very, he's in a bad place right now, mm -hmm. you know, because it's also just happened. You know, he did just say this just happened on Friday. And, and my assumption is, is that this is, this is Sunday. Oh yeah. Cause you know, they're at a football game. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, uh, yesterday I, I talked about we, we talked about it yesterday what what when this game was so uh you know the the game was on october 16th 1988 which was a sunday yes so, so i guess uh would harry, have been the 14th? harry and helen that's right harry and helen had their discussion on october 14th and then on the 15th she told him that uh that you know she doesn't want to be married to him that you know that that she thought about it so, yeah. Bananas. Pretty quick. Completely. <laughs> All right. So the, the script in in for this minute, there isn't very much that's different. I just like the descriptive aspect here. Okay. It says a, uh, a wave uh, is in, the, in progress. It sweeps around the stadium and passes by Harry and his friend Jess, sitting in the second deck, surrounded by Mets fans. Remember, we talked yesterday that this is supposed to be a baseball in game. Shea Stadium. Yeah. It's fall. They're both wearing jeans and windbreakers. Harry is very despondent. And then they have the whole story. And then it says a wave comes to the crowd and Harry and Jess stand and wave their, their hands. You know, at, throughout the, you know, in, during the course of, of their conversation. And then it, you know, and then it immediately says they sit down and then it continues the conversation. So that's pretty much all they have from the, uh, from the script here. So every Tuesday, uh, we have a segment called Off the Beaten Track Dating Courting Edition, <laughs> where my guest will give some sort of story, anecdote, adventure, misadventure, something that has happened to them over the course of their lives that is related to either dating or courting. So, Alan, you have a story for us by any chance? Wait a minute. Do I? Me? <laughs> yeah, I've got one. <laughs> Hey, you want it? You want to bring someone else to tell a story? You can do that too. No, no, I'll I'll, I'll tell the story, and it it really is the story of how my my current wife, my now would be considered my second wife, um, how our relationship changed because we knew of each other. We had been involved in theater. Our kids had done things together. We ran in a group of people, so we were we really all knew kind of that whole circle of the local theater people, artistic people. So, you know, 30, 40 people we would see all the time, do things with. It was just kind of like the group. And when my marriage fell apart, didn't realize hers was also falling apart. And so we ended up, some other people had gone through divorces. Other people had never been married. 
So we then did this thing. We were trying to be really funny. Uh, when uh, when we didn't have our kids, we would do things called the Lonely Hearts Club weekends, where someone would host a dinner and it would be like a potluck. We could all get together for a board night, game night, whatever. But we were just really good friends. Like we, you you could we could relate to one another, but it was never a thought of doing anything beyond being friends. And one, and just because we're on the backside of New Year's Eve, what started it all is. One New Year's Eve, it was the and for the folks who have gone through uh, divorce schedules, you know that they try to alternate the holiday weekend. So if you have your kids uh, up to from Christmas to New Year's, then they switch. And then the next time that you have them up to Christmas, but then you've got then you're by yourself from Christmas half of the day through New Year's. So it was a, it was a year where we didn't have our kids. They were with their respective other sides of the of the divorced uh, family. And so we all decided a bunch of us were going to go down to this club in Atlanta for New Year's Eve. And celebrate the New Year's. And right as midnight was approaching, because, I mean, we're not dating. Nobody's dating. We're all just hanging out. I'm like, well, I don't I don't have anybody I'm here to, to kiss at midnight. I'm going to go outside. And I said, hey, I'm going to go outside, call my kids. I'll be back in like 10 minutes. So I go outside, call them, wish them Happy New Year, whatever. I come back. I couldn't find her for like 10, 15 minutes. And then all of a sudden, I, 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 searching around, I finally found her. And I realized something wasn't right. Something was really weird. She acted like in the 10 minutes I was gone that she had had like 12 drinks simultaneously. Like she had just taken like a row of shots or something. She was getting slurred speech, blurry eyes, said – started acting like she was like really upset. She goes, where would you go? I've lost you. I don't know where you are. I'm like, what are you talking about? I told you I was going to call my kids. She said, I don't feel right. Something's wrong. I want to go. I was like, okay. So we got in the car, and she started acting like totally ready to just pass out. We both have talked about it since. We think somebody, because I, quote, left her to go outside, someone probably slipped something into her drink. And she tells the girls oh, wow. all the time that here's this, here she is. She goes, you know, I'm so used to going to college bars. I had a life, you know, when I was in college, I hung out with a bunch of people. I went to New York. I lived in New York City in a small apartment. I would go out every evening for for happy hour and girls free drinks hour. So she goes, I thought to myself, I'm a, I'm a pretty – careful person i I'm, I'm pretty experienced in the bar scene and she says to the girls our daughters all the time she said and even i must have for a split second took my eye off the drink and somebody put something in it because it's the only explanation for how drugged i felt afterwards because when i got her home and thankfully i was worried she was going to get sick in the car or something got her back to my house and there she was in no condition to drive to her house because she had come we had driven down together so I was like, you're going to just have to spend the night. And she's like, and she's totally out of it. And she ended up spending the night, but, you know, obviously nothing happened. I'm not that kind of a guy. And the next day she and was Besides like, you slipping her a Mickey. Yeah, no, it wasn't me. Trust it. me, it wasn't me. Um, <laughs> yeah, but, like you would tell us that you that it was you. <laughs> was, Bill, was Bill Cosby there? Yeah. I love pudding. <laughs> pudding things in your drink. <laughs> no. So the, the long and the short of it is, the next day, I think we both realized she felt I took care of her when she could have been taken advantage of and was at her most vulnerable. And I felt like I enjoyed the fact that she trusted me to take care of her and to keep her safe. And something clicked. And we talked later and I said, are we are we thinking about maybe maybe going out now? And she goes, I don't want to screw this up. I don't. We, we're great friends. We have great times. Our kids like each other. What happens if this fails? I'm like, 
I don't know, but maybe we got to give it a shot. And here we are 13 plus years later married. There you go. We've been married for 13 is- plus years. We dated for a couple, but you know, initially we, neither one of us wanted to get married. That's, that's a story I can say for the other day, but, um, we both decided, you know what you talk about, you know, the, op- the opposite of divorce is the separation, you know, or, or the, or being married is the, the separation phase that we talked about. We wanted to just, well, we'll just common law live together. We're not going to get married. We, we both had been turned off of marriage from our, from, from everything that went on with our divorces. Right. The kids liked each other. We, we were, we had the same house. We acted like we were married, but we we're like, do we really need a ceremony? Do we got to go through all that crap again? But, uh, you know, we ended up going ahead and doing it, but, uh, yeah, I'll save that for a different day. I'll I'll I'll, I'll make that part two for uh, Ooh, on Thursday fun, fun, fun. If, if you'll have yeah, me back. You... All right, why not? Why not? <laughs> because because now people have a reason to come back on Thursday. So okay, yeah. I will say this: so, the story so of us being friends, I think, is the reason why we're so happy in our second marriages to each other. Because, you know, you always kind of put up that false front when you're meeting somebody for the first time. You're putting your best foot forward. You're trying to impress. You're trying to, you know, maybe you dress a little bit better. You kind of let whatever your bad habits, you try to push those aside to try to impress that person. I was never Mm -hmm. trying to impress her. I was just me. So it was too late. I couldn't pretend to be somebody I wasn't. And she still liked me for who I was. So there's something to be said about finding your best friend first, because then, you know, you're always with somebody you really like. All right, cool. That is a great story. Thank you very much, Alan. Thank sure. you for sharing with everybody. The whole world now. And with knows. me. <laughs> well, they, if anyone listens to the marriage, uh, the, the marriage fit, they they already heard most of that. So True. yeah, you know, see, I do pay attention. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So you want to tell people how they can get in touch with you? Sure. Uh, If you want to follow me on social media, I'm on five different uh, social media platforms for what I do in talk radio, which is more political oriented, but I do check it. It's Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Getter, and Truth Social. Just do a search for The Alan Sanders Show. You'll find me. I do tend to be on Twitter more than anything. Uh, Podcast-wise, entertainment, we did a show called The Wilder, or a podcast called The Wilder Ride for four seasons. That was a lot of fun, me and my buddy Walt Murray. And as you alluded to, my wife and I do a podcast called The Marriage Fit Podcast, which is more about sharing our stories and bringing up kids and doing the things that we did as a married couple, trying to bring them up and trying to do something productive with our, (laughs) with our children without losing all of our hair. Okay. Makes sense. (laughs) And finding me is very simple. Just do a quick search for move around minute. You can find me on my website, movearoundminute.com. You can find me on Twitter and you can find me on Facebook. So until tomorrow, I'll have what she's having. I'll definitely have what she's having. With all your faults, I love you still. It had to be you, wonderful you, had to be you.